A quick note about today's story. It features a murderer that's now in transition from male to female. I respect her decision to be called whatever she feels is appropriate, and will show her the common courtesy of using correct pronouns if I ever have to discuss her in the future. Today, though, I will be using male pronouns in the story, as the transition did not occur till after court. After we reach the part of the story in which the transition was made clear, I will use the female pronoun in the place of the male pronoun. Also, some have said this is merely a narcissistic attempt at more spotlight. I will not weigh in on that subject, as that story is not mine to tell for anyone. I will weigh in and say that if you are thinking about transitioning, or have trouble finding comfort in your own skin, there are resources out there for you. You can contact the Trans Lifeline at one 565 8860 They are a non-profit organization, and their vision is to improve the overall life outcomes of trans people by facilitating community aid, and they have staffers available to answer questions about resources, counselors, and even help with the stuff you may find to be an obstacle, such as legal name changes. The year is 2004. Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams would star in the Nicholas Sparks adaptation, The Notebook and it would cement its reputation in the romantic comedy genre, anchored by a famous kiss in the rain. Harry Potter would reach third year in Prisoners of Azkaban, and is considered by many to be the best of the series. Clint Eastwood would show his chops from the director's chair, making that year's Academy Best Picture with Million Dollar Baby. Mel Gibson would also try his hand at directing, creating the epic The Passion of the Christ, which detailed the last day, of Jesus of Nazareth. 2004 would also give us two films that would become pop culture icons, two films that are considered the most quotable comedies among millennials. First, early in the year, with Napoleon Dynamite. It came out when many people my age were deciding their future, and whenever someone brought up higher education, you would no doubt hear, your mom goes to college, followed up by another teen comedy, Mean Girls. It would give us Lindsay Lohan and the previously mentioned Rachel McAdams facing off in the timeless story of the outsiders versus the in crowd. So hopefully you're wearing pink, because it's Wednesday. And just like Regina George, today we look at the story of Skylar DeLeon and how he manipulated everyone in his life with dire consequences. I'm Justin Harvey, and you're listening to Death and Hollywood. Today we start our story with me introducing you to Thomas Hawks and Jackie O'Neill. They would meet in 1986. Both were previously married, and while Tom was divorced, Jackie had lost her first husband in a motorcycle accident that she barely survived when a car sideswiped them. The initial attraction between the two was their mutual interest of fitness. Tom was an amateur bodybuilder, which he would continue doing well into his 50s. He had also won a state of Arizona arm wrestling championship. His day job was that of a probation officer for the state of Arizona. He had a tough exterior, but he fell hard for Jackie, who also was a fitness buff. 
she would regularly go to the gym and keep herself in peak physical condition. They were married in 1989 and soon began to raise a family together. Family vacations meant boating for the Hawks family. Being on the water was another passion of the Hawks. Tom had grown up with his family vacations being spent on a trawler off Catalina Island and wanted his family to enjoy the same experience that he did. They always had a powerboat, and every other weekend you could find the Hawks towing their boat to some lake for some adventure, all the while working and saving to eventually buy something bigger. And when Tom retired, the two sold their house and bought a yacht called the Well Deserved. They moved onto it and began their new adventure. The boat was beautiful, had two decks, two bedrooms, and two bathrooms, and the interior was made from hand-carved teak. After taking it on a few short excursions, Tom equipped it with wooden racks for a windsurfer and a kayak. He installed the latest gadgets, a new generator, and a 400-gallon desalination tank so they could stay out at sea for months. They said in an article written for Latitudes and Attitudes that the sea was calling for them and life was too short to put things off. One cannot discover new oceans if one doesn't have the courage to lose sight of the shore, Tom wrote. They spent the next year and a half traveling the oceans and emailing their friends and family of their adventures. They cruised down the coast of California, along Cabo San Lucas, and into the Sea of Cortez, stopping off in Baja and even celebrating Christmas on mainland Mexico with a family they met. During these adventures, their vacation would be interrupted by the most unexpected, the birth of a grandchild. They had also learned one thing while cruising the Mexican coast and that was maintaining their 55-foot yacht was both backbreaking and expensive. So they decided to sell their yacht and use the profits to buy a smaller boat and maybe some property in Mexico that would allow them to return to Arizona so they could dote on their first grandchild. Always thrifty, they decided to sell the boat themselves instead of using an expensive broker. Tom placed a for-sale ad for the well-deserved, and it was quickly answered by a young man named Skylar de Leon. Skylar de Leon was born John Julius Jacobson, Jr. in August of 1979. John Jacobson had dreams of being a Hollywood star, though later he said this was never his dream, but that of his dad's. He would star in a few commercials, and in his teenage years, land a spot on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This would prove to be limited success due to Jacobson's struggle with line memorization. He would drop his father's name at this point and choose the name Skylar de Leon. He would go on to join the military. He decided on the Marines, but he wasn't able to cut it there either and went on a 15-day unauthorized absence and was given an other-than-honorable discharge. This was more of an administrative discharge, saying his conduct and performance was not on par with what was expected of him in the U.S. military. In September of 2001, he would meet a young woman named Jennifer Henderson who played shortstop for the Cal State 49ers. They would quickly fall in love and be married a year later. Within the next year, she would become pregnant and give birth to a daughter named Haley. In 2002, while the Hawks were having the time of their lives, Skyler was having trouble staying out of trouble. He was employed by Ditech Mortgage as an appraiser, but was arrested for burglarizing the home of a co-worker. He was sentenced to a year in prison, but was allowed to serve his sentence in a work release program. This allowed him to hold a job 
and returned to jail at night to serve his sentence. In 2004, pregnant with their second child, Skylar would introduce Jennifer to Thomas and Jackie Hawks aboard their yacht, the well-deserved. When they met, the Hawks originally were unsure of Skylar and whether he could even afford a boat such as this at such a young age. They were convinced by the charmer after he told them stories of being on the hit show, The Power Rangers, and about successful real estate adventures. What sealed the deal was meeting Skylar's young wife Jennifer and their infant daughter. Here was a family man that wanted his child to experience life on the water, a sentiment that would have hit home for Tom Hawks. And after a bit of discussion, they settled on the cash price of $435,000. A few days later, Skylar would contact the Hawks and tell them prior to the purchase he would want to take the boat out for an at-sea inspection. The Hawks agreed and waited, expecting to see Skylar and Jennifer coming aboard. Instead, this time, Skylar came with two other men who he introduced to the Hawks as his accountant and the other as a close friend. The Hawks had told their friend Carter about the sea trip and had planned to celebrate the sale of their yacht later that night. As darkness grew close, no one had heard from them until Carter got a troubling text message from Jackie. Hey Carter, we don't know why we're not back at shore yet. We're still out here on the sea trial. We really don't know what's happening other than the fact that they're telling us they're still sea trialing the boat. This is the last anyone heard from the Hawks, as the next morning, the boat was moored back at the harbor, but the Hawks had seemed to disappear into the ocean air. Even though they were known to have a semi-nomadic lifestyle, it wasn't common for the Hawks not to reach out to friends and family, so a missing persons report was filed. When the police got the report, they sent a detective out to the boat, and when the detective gained entry, they reported no signs of a struggle. The only noticeable thing is the Hawks SUV was missing. Then the detective on scene also found a receipt. On the receipt were bleach and other cleaning supplies, heavy-duty trash bags, and tums. The detective found this significant because he theorized, if I was going to commit murder, this is all the things I would need to clean a scene. And the tums? I'd probably be sick to my stomach with what I was doing. Newport police now wanted to know who was buying the well-deserved. They learned from several sources the man's name was Skylar de Leon, and began their search for the new owners. Once located, the police still did not technically have any evidence of a crime, so they placed surveillance on both Skylar and Jennifer. I'm expecting, you know, some bad guys that you'd gotten from Hollywood casting. This wasn't it. This was a husband and wife volunteering their time at a church cleaning, said the detective reviewing the tapes. But investigators would also find out that Skylar was on probation after being busted for burglary, and when they dig into their finances, they find the couple was $87,000 in debt and living in Jennifer's parents' garage. Cops start to wonder where in the world did they get the money to buy the well-deserved. It certainly wasn't from De Leon's acting career. The lead detective, Byington, has Skylar hauled in for questioning, and in the recorded interrogation, Skylar maintains they did in fact buy the well-deserved, and also during this interrogation, he said he paid like 485000 for it. The cops asked if it was a cash purchase, and Skylar told him it was. When questioned on how he would come by this amount of money, Skylar told them it was from drug sales. Skylar not only said he purchased the well-deserved with cash, but that Tom then asked if Skylar could use his connections in Mexico 
to help open a bank account and buy property there. He then took that story even a step further by saying that Tom and Jackie had signed over power of attorney to him, giving him full access to move all their money to Mexico. The police were getting real suspicious. This is all just too much. But Skylar produced a power of attorney, and it looked legit. And even though the story didn't ring true, here's a signed document, and the detective said, I don't feel like this kid did anything. Then just to add to Skylar's credibility, cell phone towers show the Hawks' phones were pinging near the Mexican border the morning of the sea trial. Detectives, back at zero, turned to the Hawks' family for help. The Hawks' son, Ryan, is a really good-looking individual. So they put him in front of the camera on national news and had him plea for help looking for his parents or their car. After the press conference, police got a tip that they had been waiting for. An American citizen down in Mexico calls the police and tells them he's watching the morning news right now and he's staring at the car they're looking for. They ask him if he can take a picture. He obliges, and sure enough, there it is, the Hawks SUV sitting outside of a house in Mexico. The police then contact Mexican authorities, and a federale goes to visit the house. Even though Detective Byington doesn't speak much Spanish, he understands the federale when he tells him the man inside the house is Skylar de Leon. The federale takes DNA samples from the knobs of the car, and it comes back to a match to Skylar. Now police are feeling pretty confident that something has happened to the Hawks, and that Skylar and Jennifer are involved. But what? And how do they prove? That's what the DA asked them. They decide to circle back to the power of attorney. How would they get the Hawks to sign this? Or why would the Hawks trust him to do this? Here's the problem. It's even notarized, with matching fingerprints. It makes it a legal document, and the notary said she witnessed the Hawks signing it. But when the cops asked the notary to describe the Hawks, thinking maybe she was conned, she described Tom perfectly but described Jackie as having brown curly hair, which was odd, because when they had retired and went to the coast, she chopped her hair off, wore it spiky, and dyed it blonde, so it didn't make any sense to police. The police decided to send the document to the FBI for analysis, and the FBI noticed something strange in the handwriting, something in Jackie's signature. It appears that she signed her name Jackie Hawk, and someone else that was not her added the S at the end. The police believed this was Jackie, trying to send out a secret alert that something wasn't right. Then just as the police and the DA are closing in on Skylar, they receive a tip that Skylar asked his probation officer if he could leave the country. After some quick thinking, they decide to pick up Skylar on drug and money laundering charges that he admitted to during his original interrogation. When detectives search their house, they hit the jackpot. They find all of Tom and Jackie's personal effects, their cameras, their driver's licenses, among other personal effects that they would need, even if they had just decided to take off on a new adventure. The detectives also can't help but notice, Jackie's driver's license picture shows her remarkably similar to what the notary described. Now the police are seriously questioning who else might be involved with the Hawks' disappearance other than just Skylar and Jennifer. During the search... They also come across something else that raises their eyebrows. A business card from an LAP detective assigned to Interpol. The police contact the detective and tell him they are looking at Skylar for possible involvement in the disappearance of the Hawks. 
the detective drops a bombshell on the cops. Skyler has his business card because he was being questioned in the death of an American citizen the previous year in Mexico, but authorities could not make it stick to Skyler. On a hunch, straight out of your favorite cop drama, the DA calls an old boating buddy named Salty Sam and says, Hey, what should I be looking for if we are trying to figure out if someone was murdered on a boat? Without missing a beat, Sam tells his friend, I'd start looking for missing anchors. Investigators look at some photos of the well-deserved and notices that there is two anchors in all the photos. They head back to the harbor, and sure enough, now on the well-deserved, hanging from the bow of the boat, there was only one anchor where there had previously been two. Armed with this information, the police begin to apply pressure to Jennifer, even showing her surveillance footage at the Hawks Bank where she was with Skyler, trying to empty their bank account with the power of attorney. That gave them enough to charge her as an accomplice, but love prevailed and she wouldn't budge. They then turned their attention to the notary, but she didn't even flinch, sticking by her story. They returned to looking at the document, and right there in black and white on the witness line, a name one of the investigators recognized, Alonzo Machane. Alonzo Machane happened to be working at the Salt Beach City Jail, the same jail where Skyler was imprisoned during his work release program. When the police tried to bring Alonzo in for questioning, he fled to Mexico. The DA then decided to get word with an offer of a deal. He couldn't give Alonzo immunity, but would take the death penalty off the table if he comes forward. At this point, Alonzo returned to the United States and meets with police. Detectives turn on a tape recorder, and Alonzo tells them the story of what happened to the Hawks. Alonzo tells detectives that Skyler recruited him for a plan to make some quick money and about the other man Skyler brought with him. The supposed accountant, who was actually a notorious gang member and killer named John F. Kennedy. He continued saying Skyler had it all planned out, and not long after being on the boat, they enacted it. Kennedy pretended to be seasick and went down below into the cabin. When Tom became concerned about Kennedy not returning, he went below as well to check on him, with Skyler following in tow. Once below, Skyler and Kennedy ambushed Tom, but subduing Tom was not as easy as they might have expected. Even at 57, Tom was in great physical shape, and the pair ended up using a taser to overcome him. Up on the deck, hearing the commotion, Jackie asked Alonzo what was going on. He then tased her and restrained her as well. He escorted her to the cabin, and Skyler told him to go grab some tape, and they taped the hawk's eyes and mouth shut. Alonzo told detectives that Jackie was screaming and crying through the tape, but Mr. Hawk sat stoically, only stroking his wife's hands with his fingers, trying to calm her down. I believe Tom knew what was going to happen and wanted his wife to know he was at her side till the end. Skyler then took the couple, one at a time, into the kitchen to sign the power of attorney. Initially, Tom refused, but was told they would kill his wife right then and there, but if he cooperated, they would be dropped off on a passing vessel or left at the border. After they signed it, Skyler headed for the cockpit and typed in coordinates to one of the deepest spots in the ocean. Tom and Jackie, still bound and blindfolded, were led up to the top deck of the boat. There, Kennedy and Alonzo tied the couple back to back with some rope. At some point, Skyler, returning from the cockpit, unhooked one of the anchors and started dragging it by the chain to the back of the deck where the couple was. Jackie lost her composure again when she heard it, 
The sound of metal being drugged against fiberglass is distinct and scary, especially when you're without vision and it's heading towards you. A foreboding sound of things to come. Crying. I have to see, I have to see my grandchild one more time. Tom whispered to his wife, it's okay, babe. We're going to be together. Alonzo witnessed the inhumanity and the unbearable cruelty of Skylar, the twisted mastermind behind the murders. Skylar hooked the anchor to Tom and Jackie and then threw it over the side of the boat. The anchor pulled the hawks with it and smashed Jackie's head on the side of the ship as she fell. Struggling for a minute against the anchor when they hit the water before they disappeared beneath the surface of their beloved ocean. Alonzo then reported that Skylar and Kennedy had no remorse whatsoever. Skylar began collecting photos of Tom and Jackie and tossing them into the ocean as if they were frisbees. Kennedy, meanwhile, grabbed a beer from the fridge, found a fishing pole, baited it, and fished all the way back to the harbor. Skylar, John Kennedy, Alonzo, and Jennifer were all charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Some say Jennifer was an unknowing pawn in this scheme, but it's hard for the investigators to believe that knowing they didn't have money, why were her and her husband meeting a couple to discuss buying a yacht from them? Separate juries would hear each case, but they would all come back with the same verdict, guilty. Jennifer DeLeon was sentenced to life in prison. Alonzo Machane was given leniency for his cooperation and received 20 years. John F. Kennedy was sentenced to death for double murder. Then, just before Skyler's trial, he was hit with a third murder charge. That cold case of an American being killed in Mexico was finally closed. Skyler slit the throat of a man named John Jarvie after luring him in with the promise to turn $50,000 into $200,000. There was no reason Skyler gave for this murder other than the money. He wanted a new car since he had a baby now. During the trial, a new motive came out for the hawk's death, and it was that Skyler wanted the money for gender reassignment surgery and had scheduled an appointment shortly after the murders to have the procedure completed. While awaiting trial, Skylar would ask for a disposable razor to shave his face, and then would remove the blade and try to cut his genitals off. Nearly five years after the Hawks were murdered, Skylar faced trial and was found guilty and sentenced to death. In 2014, Skylar made headlines again when a judge granted Skylar's request to start hormone replacement therapy and is currently awaiting approval for gender reassignment surgery. Now Skylar is living as a female in the psych ward on death row at San Quentin. Ever the charmer, or manipulator depending on how you look at it, she has been romantically engaged with two women since her transition. The Hawk family lived incredible lives. They raised amazing children by all accounts, and they were the people that you imagine when you think of the American dream. They had just embarked on their newest adventure, being loving grandparents when they were taken from their family and friends. Rest in peace, Thomas and Jackie Hawks. A quick reminder for my listeners, this will be the last episode in Season 1 of Death in Hollywood. We will return in December with Season 2 covering Accidental Death. Make sure to subscribe to my other channel, The Ohio Connection, that will run during this break.
Thank you guys for all your support. If you like this story, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. If you want to help us grow, please share the show with a friend. Also, make sure to follow us on social media to participate in polls and contests. If you would like to financially support the show, visit our Anchor.fm page and become a monthly supporter or a one-time tipper, and you'll be listed in the credits of the next show. Full sources for this episode can be found on the website within the show notes, but include a True Crime Daily article by Melissa McCarty, an LA Times article by Jeff Gottelbig, and a 48 Hours episode titled The Dark Voyage.